we are uh, entering in uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to be kind of, you know, if you're visiting here, you're going to hear us doing sort of an in-house family conversation about our purpose as a church, about the why of, uh, you know, what we do here. And we're going to have the pleasure, the, the honor actually, each week to hear from one of our uh, mission partners. These are uh, partners in ministry. And Gary and Debbie Fuller have been with us for 20 years at Deer Creek Church, and uh, we are still partnering together. Can you believe it? Yeah. So, Gary, why don't you uh, tell us who you're with? Uh, with Crew. And tell us what you do. What does Crew do to advance the kingdom here in Denver? Uh, crew is, uh, I work with uh, Crew in part of the, our city, we call our city ministry. Crew has also historically been known as Campus Crusade for Christ. But because I don't work at all with college campuses, which is a whole different division, I supervise a team here in, in Denver uh, that we reach out into the marketplace, into the places where people work, really go from here uh, each week. Yeah. And so that's our focus. And so your emphasis is uh, sharing the gospel with folks and then uh, also entering into discipleship relationships with them. And God really music likes comes that. up at appropriate times. That was a special freebie. Yeah, yeah, that was a freebie. That was good. I think they wanted us to sing. Or dance. <laughs> <laughs> that would empty the room fast. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we were saying what crew does, discipleship and evangelism. And it, it's interesting how I know from conversations with Gary, uh, your, the way you go about doing some of the things you do is different. You've actually kind of expanded your understanding of what a, uh, sharing the gospel with someone looks like. Once upon a time, it was kind of a more narrow understanding of uh, the gospels about how people can believe in Jesus and when they die, go to heaven. And uh, that message has gotten bigger for you. You want to talk just a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, actually, Deer Creek has been instrumental in, in my journey in this. Uh, and, and it would be characterized pretty much that way, where I, I came to know faith, uh, to Christ, and then you know, I knew being assured of my salvation was huge. And, and just telling all, everybody about that was very exciting. And that's all still true. That's all still part of what we do. But that uh, connects, that lead message connects with only a certain number of people initially in our culture. It's really shifted. And we recognize that. And then my recognition was, oh, wow, is, is, there's actually more to this gospel. And being associated with Steve Sage here for a lot of years and, 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 our, and learning through you guys, it was like, well, there's more to it than that. It's, it's more of a... Uh, it, it, salvation is, is not a finish line, it's a starting line. Hmm. And we want to get people to that starting line with a relationship with God and then to live their life. And what does that look like to really do that and then also train others in doing that? And our team here in Denver is, is, is an exceptional team, quite frankly. Uh, we, we have doctoral degrees, and I'm the dummy with just one master's. And so, seriously, uh, we've <laughs> we got a very smart team. But we started, what does it mean philosophically, and then what does it mean to really life that out, getting it down to practice? practice and what do we do in our world and that's been a journey for the last really in earnest for the last seven eight years so the idea is just uh, that since jesus the king has come he's brought the kingdom and if we're going to be kingdom citizens and and live in it we are meant to bless the city christians are called to share who jesus is what jesus has done in his life his death his resurrection and we're also meant to use the gifts that god's built into us to be a blessing uh, to the city, in this case, the, the, the city of Denver. And, uh, and so part of the message that you bring now is that even people who don't know Jesus but are working well in the city and, and bringing blessing, that's something that deeply honors God. And, and, uh, and uh, sometimes that's surprising to unbelievers that Christians understand the gospel to be something much bigger, the coming of the kingdom, the coming of Jesus himself. So if, I'm just curious, Gary, what does it look like for you as a, uh, as a Christ follower and as someone involved in ministry with crew, what does living missionally look like for you? What are some of the things that happen in your life daily, weekly, that type of thing to you know, be able to uh, advance the kingdom? I mean, like all of you, I have relationships in the city. And uh, a gentleman that I met, oh, I probably met him 10 years ago, and he was interested in spiritual things. And I, he was in a, a, an evangelistic Bible study. It was exploring who is Jesus. And, and at that point, I, I could never figure out where he was at with Jesus. And, it, and, it was just, and he asked me this question. I remember I was sitting over at the Panera Bread over at Aspen Grove. And he said, he goes, Gary, 
what difference does Christ make having God, I think his phrase was, having God in your life make a difference? How does that look in your life? And at that point, and this is again 10 years ago, my, my answer was true, uh, and I think still is true, but you know, I said, well, there was a joy that now that I know where I'm going to go, and, uh, you know, and that gives me peace. And then I, you know, I don't smoke dope anymore or something like that. I remember what it was. But, it, but it, I remember the look on his face. It was like... Oh. wasn't legal then? <laughs> uh, that was a few years earlier when God's... Uh, you know, they made us stop doing that when we came on staff. So, uh, <laughs> but now I can start again. So, ah, it's confusing in Colorado. Uh, <laughs> where did I go with that? that was, anyway, but the look on his face was like, huh. You know, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was like, wow, is that it? And actually, I reconnected with him on Thursday. It wasn't by design or anything. I've been, we've been trying to say, hey, we haven't connected. And, and I started months ago, and we went through the holidays. We couldn't connect. And finally, we got together on Thursday. I think we sat in the same booth at Panera. And, and I, I, was t- I actually told him the story that I just told you. I said, you know, I talked to you. And he had no record. I don't remember that conversation, Gary. And, and, it, and then I started explaining it to him more of a wider understanding of saying, you know, he's in, he's in uh, sales. He, he provides sandpaper and, and adhesives, tape and things for industrial purposes. And I began to explain to him how the kingdom, how that actually connects to the shalom that God wants to bring to our city. And I says, I grabbed the table, I says, this table could not have been made without the products that you provide to some company that made this table. Somebody like you or even you provided what it took to make this table. We're enjoying conversation in these baristas. I started connecting and, and, and actually the look on his face was, was amazing. He just, he literally he did this. He kind of, whoa, I never thought of it that way. And as we, you know, we ran out of time, and he says, can we talk some more, Gary? And so that's some of what we would mm-hmm. do to, to engage with people in any relationship. Another thing happened this week that's been, it's really been a fun thing. For the last number of years, we started this thing called No Walls. And it's, it's just for, for men who we, we gather at a, at a pub uh, over at Tech Center, and we just talk about important stuff. We, we don't talk about uh, fluff stuff, weather, sports. It's just what's important to us. And we get about half the group there is usually those that don't yet know Jesus. And this week, on Tuesday, was happened to be the month that we did it, or the day of the month, and uh, one of the guys, he, uh, the non-believers, facilitated the discussion. And you know what he wanted? It was, it was, it was fascinating. He led the whole discussion of how our little group here, that we, we vary between 12 and six people, and there was like seven of us on Tuesday, and, he, and his whole discussion was on how can we be a, and he used this phrase, be a band of brothers. And I started thinking about it, and he starts saying, how can we go, and, he, and, and he's not a believer, and he, he recruited his friends who aren't believers. One's an anarchist atheist. Another is, he, he moved from a communist country, but now he's more just a socialist, but also you know, very, very humanistic. But they don't believe in Jesus, but they like what they see, and they want, this, they want to form a community. And they says, how can we be, so they were really yearning for the kingdom. And we help them identify that, you know, this is, this is a kingdom thing you're talking about. And, and so those are some fun things. That's how we would you know, in a, in a realistic way. And, and by the way, none of those people that would, like, at this group, they're, they're, not, they're not ministry people. They're the, mm-hmm. the, the believers. They're just normal business guys. One guy was a dentist. They come together and want to reach out too, and so it's a simple method that they can just interact with unbelievers and bring their friends to some good conversation that's ongoing. So that sounds like it's kind of an organic process of conversation that uh, centers often around the gospel and, and disciple-making. So what's cool to me is because of Deer Creek Church's uh, support and the life of the Fullers, you know, we get to, uh, by extension, you know, this, is a, this becomes a, a ministry with which we partner and, uh, and get to see people coming to Jesus and then entering into the process of discipleship. Gary, thank you for the long 20-year uh, association that we've had. And, uh, and I know over the years I've heard many, many stories about folks that have come to know Jesus. And, and I celebrate the fact, too, that even in sharing the gospel now, uh, it kind of has a, a, a wider, bigger scope. Uh, it's not just get saved and go to heaven. It's get saved, live here, and be a blessing to your city, a blessing to this world that we live in, uh, because we bring the kingdom to it. So thank you, brother. Sure. Yeah, thank you very much. Dustin, uh, we have some music playing on the computer up here in the background. Is there anything I need to do to shut it off? I think it might have just cycled off. So, Oh, thanks, Ellis. I like music, but uh, 
Not while I preach. You had, a, you had a slide up here. There you go. This, uh, this coming Saturday, a big event is happening in the church, and I would encourage you to come join us. We have a great caterer. Uh, we turn this room, uh, fill it up with tables, and, and uh, we will have George uh, Houseny, who is the director of uh, Horizon Missions or Horizon International. George, is, uh, this is a, a mission. He, he operates out of Boulder. Uh, he's usually, out, though, out of the country in Muslim countries, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting how the uh, Sir- situation in Syria, which is a tragic, tragic situation, but it's also resulting in so many people's lives being uprooted, torn apart, and many, many folks are um, very open to the gospel of Jesus, Muslim folks. And George has this um, ministry opportunity in Lebanon and other parts of the world, and actually just recently uh, we were able to participate with them. We'll have Ashley Dykstra here, who's also a part of this mission. She'll be here Saturday evening, a very uh, young, articulate woman. We'll get to hear how uh, her ministry is going, and she may also be sharing a little bit with us next Sunday as well. But uh, come join us at this banquet. Again, great food. Uh, George is a phenomenal, gifted communicator. You'll hear some stories about life change that's happening in parts of the Middle East. Uh, People coming to know Jesus there, and uh, as the ministry uh, continues to grow, and we get to be a part of that. So, uh, But today is really the kind of the uh, last opportunity you'll have to go online and sign up for that missions banquet. But I would encourage you to come join us. Will, will some of you? Okay, okay. Now, pray with me. Father, we come to this place in our service where we ask you to be our teacher. We just acknowledge how much we need that. We need you, your spirit, your word to speak into our lives. And as we have this somewhat of an in-house conversation, Lord, about our church and its direction and our mission, we would ask you to guide us. We would ask you to challenge us. We'd ask that you help us um, both hear from you and then respond and, and, uh, and discern what you want us to do as individuals, and as a church. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen? Albert Schweitzer said this. He said, He comes to us as one unknown, without a name, as of old, by the lakeside. He came to those men who knew him not. He speaks to us the same word, follow me, and sets us to the task which he has to fulfill for our time. He commands And to those who obey him, whether they be wise or simple, he will reveal himself in the toils, the conflicts, the sufferings, and the joys which they shall pass through in his fellowship. And as an ineffable mystery, they shall learn in their own experience who he is. It's an interesting observation. So as we enter into and listen to this call, this command to come follow Jesus, and then that means many ups and many downs, many challenges, many successes and victories and what have you in the process of following Jesus, we actually then come more and more and more to understand just who Jesus is. A long time ago, somebody made the profound observation. They said, he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. It's an interesting observation. And I want to talk to you this morning uh, about our church's why. I was thinking, we live in a culture almost obsessed with hows. Uh, Bookstores, uh, infomercials, pop-up ads, they are just filled with everything from how to make money, right? How to lose weight, how to be happy, how to get a house, uh, how to raise a kid, and so on and so forth. We don't have many books or infomercials or pop-up ads about why. Not many. Why do I do what I do? Why do I keep knocking myself out? Why do I work so hard? What is the why that is big enough to live for when the how-to isn't big enough anymore? And I want to talk to you about the why. Because there's, frankly, I think, really just one great why. Only one why big enough to get you through any how. Any trial, any challenge, how do I do this? How do I navigate that? And this is our church's why. And uh, if you want it to be yours, it can be. And uh, it came, this, this why, came to earth in the strangest of ways. We read in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4, these words. As Jesus was walking beside, 
the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. And then something kind of strange. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So he's out taking a walk, it sounds like, a former carpenter who runs into two fishermen. And the implication of Matthew's message here is that Jesus was out walking around. He wasn't particularly or exactly looking for uh, Simon or Andrew. It just so happens he came across them. It's kind of Jesus' way, I think, of saying, you know, I can use anybody. I can even use you in my mission, in my kingdom. And Jesus speaks the words that would, that would change their lives forever and eventually come to change the world forever. He says to them, come, follow me. And friends, this is the great invitation to the whole human race that Jesus gives. Come follow me, Jesus says, and your life will be about a whole lot more than just uh, making a living or looking good or trying to be successful or trying to be happy. Follow me and you will learn the only why that really matters. It's the why that you were made for. To love God with all your soul and your heart and your mind and your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's our why. Follow me, Jesus says, and you will know God. Follow me, Jesus says, and you will be undone by grace. Follow me and you will be healed by mercy. Follow me and you will be captured by a vision of eternity so much bigger than you have uh, ability to imagine. Follow me and you will have a, a hope stronger than death itself. Follow me and you will feed the hungry and you will love the lonely. With God's power, you will change history one life at a time. Follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. That was the language Jesus used. Um, there had never been an offer like that before. Nobody had ever made these fishermen an offer like that. And so now they had to decide. You know, as do we, really. You know, there's a goofy story. Uh, you've heard it before. It's about a man in a small town. He's got a reputation as being a fantastic fisherman. Nobody catches fish like this guy. One day a stranger comes to town, asks him if he would take him fishing, and the guy agrees, and so they go out one morning, 5 a.m. The stranger notices that the fisherman doesn't have a pole, doesn't really have any gear, just a, kind of an old rusty tackle box, right? And so they, they go out into the, um, into the lake on a boat, and, and the, this fisherman with this reputation opens his tackle box and reaches in and takes out a stick of dynamite and lights it and tosses it over the side and and uh, there's this tremendous explosion all of a sudden dozens of fish float up to the surface the fisherman starts scooping them into the boat and at this point the stranger pulls out a badge it turns out he's a game warden and he says to the fisherman you are under arrest sir and the fisherman just very calmly reaches back into the tackle box and takes out another stick of dynamite and lights it and doesn't toss it in the water this time, just tosses it over to the feet of the game warden and says to him, sir, are you just going to sit there or are you going to fish? <laughs> now, there's actually a connection between that story and what I want to say, and here's the connection. You see, Jesus comes to these two fishermen, and he hands them the gospel which is something that history has proven is very, very explosive. Uh, this, this news about the presence and the forgiveness and the power and the love and the favor of God is now available in a fresh new way to everyone on the planet through this man, this carpenter, this Jesus. There is a, a new life to be lived with a new purpose and a new power in a new kingdom, unlike any earthly kingdom. It's a whole new why, don't you see? The Apostle Paul got this. His life had been turned upside down, transformed, changed by having met the Lord Jesus Christ. And later in his life, Paul wrote these words. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. It had been powerful in his life. The power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And it's so interesting, that word power that Paul uses is the Greek word dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite. 
And Jesus takes out a stick of gospel dynamite and he lights it and he tosses it at your feet and mine and these fishermen as if to say, are you just going to sit there or are you going to fish? And then we, we read these words if we keep reading there in Matthew 4. It says, at once they, that is Peter and Andrew, left their nets and followed him. At once. Something about this man Jesus and his Mission and his purpose uh, compelled them. It was a chance of a lifetime. And so they, they left their nets. Now, of course, everybody's got nets. You have nets. I have nets. Nets are our things to which we look for security. They're maybe the things that we tend to find our identity. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but we tend to find our identity in them. It's our familiar world. Well, these guys very boldly and very bravely get up and leave their nets. They follow Jesus, and they became Jesus-obeying, Jesus-loving, Jesus-centered, Jesus-almost-you-could-say-haunted people for the rest of their lives. They were possessed by the power of the good news about Jesus and how it was changing and transforming them and thus changing and transforming their families and thus changing and transforming their villages, their towns, the communities in which they live. Now, what's so interesting to me is if you've read the Gospels, you know this to be true. They would often be very confused by Jesus, these disciples, these followers, these fishermen. But they couldn't stand to be away from him. Uh, They would come eventually to count it a privilege to suffer with Jesus, and then to even die for him. That's how transformed and changed their priorities, their purpose, their lives became. You see, they had a why that meant they could face any how. And that was their story. Now what I'd like to do is to read the very next story that comes in the Gospel of Matthew. So we've read that one. Then the very next story that follows here in Matthew chapter 4 says this. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in the boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. And Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Question, uh, does anything here remind you of the previous story? Pretty similar, right? Very similar. It's practically the same story. Why does Matthew do this? I mean, that's very repetitive. Nothing is more irritating than unnecessary repetition. Nothing is more irritating than unnecessary repetition. (laughs) If I keep saying that, you'll be very irritated, you see. But you have to understand that in that day, um, repetition actually had a purpose, and everybody understood the purpose. You see, they didn't have bold type or italics. Uh, They didn't even have upper and lower case letters uh, as they uh, wrote in the Greek language. So in that day, repetition was the way you would emphasize or the way you would highlight or the way you would underline something that was very important, something that was very critical, something that people needed to grasp. So these stories you see are all about the big decision, the really big decision that every person who meets Jesus must make, and let me add, keep making. What is the why of my life today? I would ask you that question. What is the why of my life today? This is all so important that Jesus puts uh, this into a, kind of a very fresh way of, of speaking, way of thinking. He puts it almost into secular, secular language so that these fishermen would get it right away. These guys were untrained. They were uneducated. Uh, He wanted them to grasp what he was calling them to do. If these men had been servants, uh, maybe Jesus would have expressed himself differently. Maybe he would have said, you know what? uh, You've been cleaning homes. Come follow me, and I'll help you learn to clean hearts. He might have said it that way. If they had been cobblers or makers of shoes, he might have said, you know what? You have been repairing souls, but come follow me, and I'll teach you how to repair souls. He may have said it that way to them. Notice what Jesus doesn't say here. In his call to come follow me, he doesn't say follow me and I'll save you and job done, we're over. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say come follow me and everything will be good in your life. Everything will be okay. Everything will go smoothly. End of story. It's just about you. He doesn't say that. He says follow me and I will give you a purpose. 
That's what's implied here in this way. Follow me and I will make your life matter. Follow me and I will give you a mission. Follow me and together we will love the world and you will see it change around you. Follow me, he says. And I hope you see that uh, they were given a new why to live for. They were going to love and they were going to call the human race into a, a new radically inclusive men and women rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, radically, radically inclusive, stunningly redemptive community centered on the message and the person and the life of Jesus himself. That's what we're supposed to be as a church, this redemptive community, inclusive community. This new people would call the human race into God's family together. Come join us. Come be a part of God's family, into God's kingdom. Come be a part of this country, this kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus. You've never seen a king like this. You've never known a king like this, a king so good. And you see, that was Jesus' deal. Jesus' deal was, follow me and I will send you out, he said to fishermen, to fish for people. I'll send you out to fish for people. And here's the thing, that's still the deal today. That's our why as a church it's like, you know, we're all fishermen, and Jesus says to us, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. This past week, I turned 62. Ooh. Yeah, you're just all excited I made it. And so, uh, and, and many of you wrote kind words. That, you know, once a year, religiously, I visit Facebook, and uh, you, you guys went on there and said some nice things. And so I, I go on once a year to say thank you. You know, thank you for all the kind thoughts and whatever. Also, other people that knew it was my birthday, they would say, hey, how you doing? Oh, happy birthday. By the way, you know, hey, you, you look good. Or, you know, you're doing great. And I realized that people only say things like that long, long after you stopped looking good and doing great. I mean, that's just the fact. Truthfully, nobody at age 62 is looking good or doing great, comparatively speaking. Comparatively speaking. We all looked way, 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 way better 40 years ago. Uh, this is me 40 years ago. Notice I had hair. Yeah, our, my uh, brother-in-law was with us last night and, and said the kind thing to me. He made the point. He said, you know, you don't look anything at all like you used to. And you know what's hard for people who are 62 years uh, uh, old and, and, and older? We, we tend to see ourselves the way we used to look. We, and then we look in a mirror and it's like, whoa, slightly shocking, you know, of what's happened to us. But here's what I've realized, honestly. Here's what I've realized, and this is way more important than any of that. We don't need more pop-up ads to tell us how to look good, you know, or keep looking good or get looking better or this or that. What we really need in our lives, regardless of our age, is a why that will sustain us when the old starts beating the how. How to look good. There's really no way to. You know, how to succeed. Well, you should have succeeded a long time ago. You know, in other words, what we need is a why that will sustain us when old starts beating how. The apostle Paul understood this. And I love what he writes about himself. He's getting older now. And he writes these words. He says, all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people, you see, transforming, changing the world, may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And therefore, we do not lose heart, he says. If you know the story of the life of Paul, there were lots of reasons he could have lost heart. Opposition, frustrations. And so he says, he says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So question, when does someone become old? Well, it's not when they get gray hair or no hair or what have you. It's not when they have aching muscles seemingly every day. It's not when they start to slow down a little bit. What makes someone old is this thing in the spirit. It's when they lose their why, I would argue. Paul says in his inner being, he is being renewed day by day. Inside, he is getting stronger. He is getting more energized. He is living more and more purposefully as he sees the kingdom of God advance into people's lives and into communities. And the interesting thing is Paul's not making this up. He's not manufacturing it himself. What's happened is his spirit is being affected by and changed and transformed by the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of God. 
here's a question that occurred to me. When does a church get old? You know, uh, this year we're 29 years old. Now, that's pretty old for some churches. For other churches, that's not old at all, kind of relatively speaking, you know. Let me say a church's age has nothing to do with how many years it's been around. A church gets old. Hear me on this. A church gets old when it becomes self-absorbed and self-enclosed and self-preoccupied. And it forgets that there is a world out there that God loves and means to reach, a world that is broken, a world that has fallen, a world that is lost, a world wrestling with sin and the problem of death that we all wrestle with and even the problem of hell. And they don't even know that there's someone who has come to rescue them. The church is old and tired and largely lacks purpose when it's not willing to love who God loves the way God loves them, with patience, with forgiveness, with service, and with sacrifice. And I would just say, you know, friends, you know, let's, let's not become a church that gets self-absorbed or self-enclosed or self-preoccupied. God forbid, let's stay clear on our why. Tell you a little bit about our history. Is that okay? Okay. Some of you were part of this. You lived this. Back in 1987, there were around 20 of us that got together and, and wanted to start Deer Creek Church. We had a passionate why. We had nearly no how. <laughs> no how. We didn't know what we were doing at all. But we had a passionate why. And we met over here in Ken Carroll Middle School, up at the northeast corner, or up on Ken Carroll there, uh, and uh, not far away. And over a period of about four years, we grew to a whopping size of about 120 adults and children, right, meeting together. And it was at that time that God opened the door, and we had an opportunity to rent space. There's a little strip mall if you go up Pierce here on the uh, northeast corner of Pierce and Ken Carroll. And in that strip mall, right in the, oh, the elbow, the corner of it, uh, there's a set of stairs, kind of dark stairs, that you go downstairs, and, and there's a little auditorium down there. And we rented that for some years. And uh, we felt like that was a great step forward for us, a, a way that helped us better fish for people. We'll stick with that metaphor. Uh, both locally and internationally, we were trying to fish for people. What happened to us were this small, small group of people, and we had a member named Andrea Johnson. And Andrea was, uh, she felt, being called to go to Ukraine. At that time, the, the um, wall had fallen, and opportunities in some of the countries there in uh, Eastern Germany or, or in Eastern Europe were just wide open to the gospel. And uh, there were lots of opportunities to go and teach and to share your faith and to do discipleship. And Andrea Johnson felt very called to that. And so we came together as a church and said, you know, God wants us to make it possible for Andrea to get over there. And so we supported her as our first full-time missionary. And she, off she went to Ukraine. And uh, why would we do that? I'll tell you the truth. We barely had money to pay the bills. But this was a challenge to us. And it was like, are we going to do this? Is this what God wants us to do? Yes, we think it is. And uh, why would we do that? Well, because we've been called to go fish. It was the why for which we even felt we were created. That's our why. That's our why in our neighborhoods or in our workplaces. That's our why where we go to school. That's our why uh, when we consider, you know, anywhere in the globe. That's our why as a church. And today it's interesting, I think in part perhaps, because we said, yes, we think this is what God wants us to do. This is going to be a tough one. We just need to do this. We need to find a way to make these funds available. And today we've been so blessed as a church family. We have lots of people who have actually come up through this church and have, and have felt called to do uh, full-time Christian ministry to, to be on the mission field. The Burnham family, Andrea Johnson, eventually became Andrea Burnham. She met Bob Burnham in Ukraine, got married, so he wanted her to get up and go over there. And now they're back in Ukraine as missionaries doing a phenomenal job of connecting 
sharing their faith, inviting people in their home, and then discipling them. Uh, we have, uh, have had Linda Hesha as a person here. She's uh, no longer a part of the church, but for years and years, Linda would go out on part-time mission, and we would support that mission work. Sometimes it was six months. Uh, sometimes it was two or three. Uh, Jeff and Julie Vihill, a family here from the church, along with Ashley, their daughter, got up and went to Kenya, and they were taking the gospel to these remote Muslim villages, I mean literally in the middle of nowhere. And the, the, the boldness, the bravery that that took, and they were seeing people come to know Jesus. And that was a ministry that we got to be a part of and partner with. It was really, really cool. Gary and Debbie Fuller, you just met uh, Gary, uh, Ben and Hope Demecki. Uh, Hope is actually Gary and Debbie Fuller's daughter, and uh, Hope is working with Bridges Ministry, uh, a ministry to uh, students on campuses, uh, mostly of Muslim background. Uh, Zandra Carroll, who I don't have a picture of, but there she is. I'm looking at her right now. There she is. Zandra works with uh, Rocio, De- uh, no, Rocio Christi, a ministry over at um, School of Mines, which is a, really an apologetics ministry for Christian faith. And, uh, you know, she grew up as a little girl going here. Uh, then the family is now involved in another church. And I don't know, Xandra, what you're doing here, why you came back, but we sure enjoy having you. And she's been in, involved with our student ministry and, uh, and is involved with this ministry as well. Kirk and Gloria Douglas, a family that's, uh, you know, part of our church family here. And God has given them a ministry to Guatemala, which is fantastic. In a few weeks, you'll get to hear a lot more about that. Very, very cool. Churches are being planted there. Uh, Clean water systems are being put in villages where uh, health issues are huge because the water is really not fit to drink. And many of us from this church have gone on those mission trips. Arnie and Valerie Snyder are part of a Columbine Community Village. Is a, um, it's, it's a ministry that we support where it, it's helping people as they age stay in their homes and provide services for them. Very, very cool. Ashley Dykstra is somebody who's going to be here next Saturday. Ashley is with Horizons Ministry, and uh, we'll get to hear some of her stories. But they are finding effective ways of sharing their faith with Muslims who have been uprooted in one part of the world, now find themselves in another, and it seems like their whole belief system is in question. And those Syrian refugees need all kinds of assistance and help, and Ashley's uh, very much involved in that. Andrew and Alexa Fuller, I, I think all the Fullers are actually trying to become full-time missionaries here uh, uh, through our church. But uh, Andrew has uh, recently been approved with AIA, Athletes in Action, here in the city. And so I'm sure we'll be exploring with Andrew, too, uh, possibilities for how to partner with them. But there are lots and lots of folks, point is, who've heard Jesus say, come follow me. Now, interestingly, Jesus says that to all of us, right? Some of us, a few of us, Uh, take on then the role of going into some kind of full-time ministry. But all of us have the role of being fishermen and women, all of us. As a church, you know, we've uh, continued just over the years to try and fish. Uh, In the mid-1990s, we felt we really needed a, uh, a better building, and so there were about 200 of us. We got together and we said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to build to serve. That was our, well, we're going to build to serve. We're going to build a building, be like having a better boat to fish in. That was the way we looked at it. And uh, those people got together. They gave, I don't know, over $600,000, and there weren't that many of them. They, they sacrificed greatly to make it possible so that this morning you would have a chair to sit in. They went before you. You're standing on their shoulders. Again, the idea was, you know, we could maybe fish better if we had a boat. Because at that time we had a boat we rented, and, uh, but we wanted a boat that we could use uh, more effectively, we thought. Well, we wanted to have a place where we could bless worshipers, we could bless students, we could bless children, and children's ministry, we could be a blessing to our community. And, you know, God blessed that endeavor. Back in 2006, we actually added on to this building. It was the same, same spirit. The whole, whole thing was just the same. We added offices and a gym and a cafe and a nursery and student ministry areas. And all during those years, uh, in addition to that, we've been led to partner with more and more organizations or people in order to go fishing together. God brings people to us. Third story, for example, Amy Beth Larson in Baker, up in Baker neighborhood, she has a ministry that tutors uh, young uh, children and also teaches them the scriptures, the, the Bible, and also feeds them uh, a meal. It's a fantastic ministry. Many of you have participated in that with Amy Beth. Uh, we partner with a, a man by the name of Rova in Myanmar. Uh, Rova is a church planter. Recently, we had the privilege of, of uh, helping Rova complete a building project that they had. We sent them $30,000 because they, 
they uh, are, have built a building where they're going to do, um, they're going to teach people English as a second language. They're going to uh, have a small Christian school. They also have a, a school for church planting apprentices, and a church is going to meet in that building. So there's all kinds of activities that are going to take place in that building, and we got to be a part of that. We as a church got to help start a ministry in the area here called Love, Inc., and uh, that's a ministry that ministers to people with all kinds of mercy and benevolence need, and we partner with them uh, even to this day. Uh, we partner with Horizons International. Uh, George, again, is going to be the speaker this Saturday, but Ashley Dykstra, the woman I mentioned, uh, she is our missionary who works under Horizons International. Columbine Community Village, again, I mentioned them a moment ago, Arnie uh, and uh, Valerie Snyder. This is a, a, a ministry locally that uh, is you know, helping people right on the other side of the fence and, and up the road there stay in their homes. And they're being loved on by people who love Jesus. And um, another big aspect of what we do, uh, Deer Creek Church has over the years consistently been in the forefront in our presbytery of planting churches. This is a huge part of what we feel called to do. We, uh, we help plant a church called Skyview Presbyterian Church. It's over in the Highlands Ranch area. We help plant a church called Redeemer Presbyterian Church down in uh, Parker. We tried to start a church up in Loveland, Colorado, and that church unfortunately just closed its doors this year. It didn't make it. And uh, we tried to plant a church also in Highlands uh, area of Denver, and that church too did not make it, not for lack of effort. Uh, It it just uh, didn't make it. And then every one of our, quote, successes or failures, we learn. Next week we have a couple coming here to visit. We're interviewing them, and they're interviewing us as to whether or not they can be a church planting apprentice with us for the next three years. We're going to do it differently than we've done it in the past. But, uh, so we're in the process of interviewing couples right now that we as a congregation would send out to plant a church somewhere here locally, somewhere here in Denver. Very, very, very important to us. Now, we did and are doing... Are you awake? We did and are doing all of this because a couple of thousand years ago, Jesus said to some fishermen, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And he's not rescinded that invitation. And this is where it gets a little bit personal. I'm guessing that, you know, those first followers that Jesus called, I mean, I'm guessing they looked at themselves and they thought, hey, there is no way I can do this. The good news was they didn't really know what they were fully getting themselves into. That was enough, you know, but I'm guessing they said, I, I, I can't do this. I'm not adequate for this. I don't know enough. I haven't been trained enough. I'm not mature enough. I don't have enough resources. Well, you know, guess what? That's just true about all of us all the time. That's just true. And, and fortunately here, too, part of the good news is that catching fish, if we're going to stick with that metaphor, does not depend on how good a fisherman I am. It depends on the Father. It depends on Jesus. It depends on the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine. He's a Christian psychologist and writer. Some of you may be familiar with him, Dan Allender. Uh, This is Dan. He's probably 67 or 8. He looks worse than me. Uh, And uh, Dan, you know, you're looking good, Dan. So here's a picture of Dan when he was younger. We'll show you that picture. Well, he and his wife, Becky, used to attend Deer Creek Church many, many years ago, in fact, when we were over there in that basement. And uh, so Dan writes that he and Becky, uh, one time with their uh, 10-year-old son, Andrew, went to Montana to speak at a Bible conference. And uh, some of you know that uh, Montana is like fly fishing Mecca, right? So Dan decides to try fly fishing, and this is what he writes. He says, the first day I didn't have to speak, so at dusk I went into the water with a float tube and all my gear. And the mountains and the water and the sunset were beautiful. But I couldn't help noticing all the birds flying around me. I'm not really an outdoorsy person, and I don't know much about ornithology, but birds, uh, the birds surprised me. I thought they'd mostly be in bed by now. But they were fully awake, flying right at me. And suddenly I realized, these aren't birds. They're bats. And I'm terrified of bats, he says. So I started using my rod to create a no-fly zone. And I don't know how to say this, but I hit a bat and it dropped to the water and it surfaced and it started toward me. And so I hit it again and I kept hitting it. And this is awful to admit, but I drowned one of God's creatures. And by this time, I just wanted to go home. 
But as it would happen at this moment, a fish decided to take my fly. So, you know, you might think that this would be uh, exciting, but all I wanted to do was get out of the water. So I pulled up this big, ugly, teeth-bearing, satanic-looking gray fish. I don't even like to touch fish, he says. And I had a meltdown. I wanted to get out of the water so bad, I started to swing the fish back and forth. And I swung it so hard, forgive me, I ripped its lips off and sent it back into the water. As I got out of the water, I saw a man sitting in a chair near the end of the dock. And he was attending the Bible conference where I was speaking. And I wanted to just slink away, but he pulled me down. He said, son, I have been fishing for over 50 years, and I have never seen the likes of that. And I just want to say thank you. So point being so far, Dan is not a good fisherman. Are you with me? Okay. Now, then he writes this. He says, my son, his 10-year-old son, Andrew, wanted more than anything to catch a fish. Yeah, you can understand that. So for the next three days, I took him out fishing after lunch. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Finally, one day, the man that I had seen on the dock before pulled me aside and said, I see you've been taking your son out to fish. Yes, sir. I noticed you take him out between 1 and 3.30 every day. Yes, sir. Haven't caught anything? No, sir. Did you know that fish don't usually bite between 1 and 3.30 in the afternoon? No, sir. I did not know that. Do you want your son to catch a fish? <laughs> yes, I do, sir. Then what, do you, what you want to do is you want to take these lures and go out tomorrow morning at 5.30 in the morning. So the next day, Dan gets up with his son, Andrew, 5.30 in the morning. They go out and fish for two hours. Nothing, absolutely nothing. Dan said he was so mad that God wouldn't give his son one stinking fish. He told Andrew, it's time to go. We're done. And his son said, Dad, please, can I just cast one more time? Nope, we're done. But then the thought came to Dan, do you want to kill hope in your son just because hope died in you? And so Dan said, no, son, you can't cast one more time, but you can cast five more times. Really, Dad? Yeah, you have to cast five more times. And so he does. First cast, nothing. Second cast, third cast, fourth cast, absolutely nothing, not even a nibble. And Dan's thinking, really, God? Really? This is who you are? This is how you operate? This stinks. (laughs) And so Dan starts, you know, getting the oars out. He's going to paddle over to the shore. But on the fifth cast, the magic happened. And the line pulled tight. Andrew started reeling in this thing. Took quite a while, Dan says. And finally, Andrew pulled in a nice big northern pike. Yeah, that's a good one. And on the way into shore, Andrew says, Dad, we have a great God, don't we? (laughs) And Dan's like, yep, yep, we do. Yep. Mm -hmm." Yeah. Andrew said, Dad, I know God's name. Now, this caught Dan a little bit off guard because he said his son doesn't really talk like this. And so he said, so what do you mean, Andrew? Dad, his name is the God of the fifth cast. Now, think about that. First cast, second cast, third cast, fourth cast. Nope. He's the God of the fifth cast. Guys, Jesus is still looking for people who will wholeheartedly follow him. People who know that they're inadequate, and they're always going to be inadequate. People who are not smart enough, they're not spiritual enough, they're not mature enough, they're not holy enough, but people who will just keep casting, keep reaching out, keep listening to folks that are lonely, keep encouraging the discouraged, keep meeting, keep serving, keep praying, keep giving, keep loving, keep inviting, keep talking. Jesus is sending people out still today. And so in the next few weeks, I'm going to be asking you, you know, will you fish? Can we fish together? Now, here's what that means, kind of very specifically. I'm going to try, try to get specific with you, and it's pretty simple. Number one, I'm asking you, will you pray? Because don't think that any clever fishing on your part is going to have any, you know, success. But it, fishing starts with prayer. Will you pray for the people in your life, the people you love, the people around you, the people that you work with, the people you go to school with, the people who live across the fence? Will you start praying for them? And don't stop. Keep casting, you see. Ask God to move. Ask God to convince them of his love for them and his care for them. Maybe God wants you to show what that love and that care looks like, but you've got to pray for them. 
You know, uh, the second thing I want you to do on this prayer thing is would you commit to praying for just one ministry partner that we have here at Deer Creek Church? Just one. One family, one individual. Would you pray for them for the upcoming year? And just maybe put the card on a table where your family meets and eats and so on and, and just pray for them. Would you do that? So pray. That's part of fishing. That's an essential part of fishing. Trying to fish, you know, in, in a casting situation without prayer is like trying to fish without putting a worm on the hook. That's the kind of fishing I know about. But anyhow, so secondly, will you give? Will you sacrificially give to make our mission happen? You know, we have a number of partners with which we're just very thankful that they are our partners. But to make that mission happen, to be a part of what God is doing through them, we're trying to raise $107,000. That's over and above what we put into missions in our, through our general fund. And so we have these little faith promise cards. You have them in your bulletin. And I would just ask you to pray over the next few weeks. The fourth Sunday, we'll ask you to turn these in if you would. And we really want to raise $107,000 so that we can continue mission. So pray, give, and then the last one is, will you live (laughs) missionally is the question. Will you live as somebody who's a fisherman? Will you invite, will you represent Jesus everywhere you go? Will you love, will you serve people in Jesus' name so that they can see Jesus, be touched by Jesus, be loved by Jesus, be made whole by Jesus? Will you do that? You have to understand, this is our why as a church right here. This is it. It's to live and serve and share the gospel, the good news of Jesus the King and his kingdom that has come. That's the why that will get you through anyhow. I don't care what you do. If you're a plumber, you're a teacher, you're a house, uh, a homemaker, you're a... I mean, I don't care what you do. You're you're a CEO of some business, whatever. It's this why that will give what you do such purpose, such significance. Um, And that's the why that centers us and drives us as a church. You see, our God is a God of the fifth cast. That's so encouraging to me. I'm always casting, and it seems like I get nothing. Any of you experience that? But he's a God of the fifth cast. Point being, don't give up. Don't give up. Just keep praying, keep giving, keep living missionally, and keep casting, you see. God will work. Here's the question. So are you just going to sit there, or are you going to fish? You've got something explosive in your hand. Use it. Use it. Now, well, so would you consider in the next few weeks going fishing together? Would you? Okay. Be praying about it. Again, uh, don't forget, come join us for the banquet this coming Saturday. Today's really the last day you've got to register. Uh, If you come, you you will thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy the evening. And I hope find it uh, uh, encouraging and, and just challenging and helpful, even as you think through what it looks like for you to fish. Okay? Pray with me. Father, I thank you, God, for the challenge of this passage in Matthew 4, what Jesus said to to Simon and to Andrew, to James and to John. He says to us today, come follow me. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That really is the why, Lord, that we're here. Sometimes we lose sight of it as a church or even as individuals. God, help us not to let that happen. Help us not to get old as a church but help us to be renewed day by day with the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Help us to be transformed by it so deeply, so significantly that we can't help but want others to see, to experience, to hear the good news about Jesus. This we pray in his name. Amen.